Well, amen. We're going to go ahead and uh, uh, continue along the lines of the origin of sickness, but we're focusing, focusing in on two main points tonight. The first of those points is um, uh, the, the, uh, the way that God gave the keys, so to speak, to man, and what man did with those keys or the dominion that God gave to man, and what man gave with that dominion or with that authority. So we're going to take a look at that and get a good idea of, of uh, what happened and also the fact that this is not permanent. Somebody say, it's not permanent. We're not going to always have to deal with the crazy devil. Praise the Lord. <laughs> there, there, there's a... There's a, a, a timer on things, and we'll get into that in a few minutes, praise God. But we're also going to go ahead and take a look. Pastor John touched this, but I want to go ahead and go even deeper with it. Take another look at the ministry of Jesus with the understanding that there is no better accurate representation of what the Father is like than by looking at the Son. And especially in the light of you know, we, we can get into the Old Testament and see some things that will make us say, well, it just looked like the Lord was in a bad mood all the time. It looks like the Lord was just looking for somebody to fry. But the real truth of the matter, and what it, it's kind of home base, it's the anchor. You always go back to it. That if, if you have that impression of God the Father, then you realize I'm missing something. I don't have the whole picture. Because if Jesus is representing him exactly, and if Jesus is just the, the outward demonstration of what he's really like, then you don't see in Jesus what, what you think you are seeing in, in God the Father, especially in the Old Testament time. Now, we did get into some of those uh, 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 complicated verses some of those what people call problem passages in our first lesson back a few weeks. And uh, I'm not going to get into that right now. You can go ahead and uh, check that out on uh, either. You, you can go to the live stream and, and stream it again. Even though it's not live, you can just replay it or you can go ahead to our podcast and catch it there. But just to do a little review of what we got into last week, we, we explained this, that when it comes to sickness, that... Man was created to have dominion. God clearly said that when he said, let us make man in our image according to our likeness and let them have dominion over the fish of the sea and so on. So if God created man to have dominion, what does sickness do? If you ever realize when sickness is trying to get on you, it's trying to dominate you. It's trying to tell you what you can do, what you can't do, when you can do it. It's, it's calling the shots. It is actually looking to dominate you, which is the reversal of God's original intent for mankind. Because God's original intent for mankind was not to be dominated, but to dominate. So, it's clearly, uh, sickness is clearly not in line with God's original intent for mankind. And then we got into this. Well, if it's not from God, then who's it from? And we expose the devil as the dirty lion cheat he is, thief and killer and destroyer. We, we uh, looked at a verse like Acts 10, 38 that said how God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Ghost and with power who went about doing good and healing all that were oppressed of the devil. 
<laughs> where did it come from? That's where it came from. And then we also saw in the ministry of Jesus in uh, Luke chapter 13, talked about a woman with a spirit of infirmity. Now, not everybody who's infirmed has a spirit of infirmity, but in this case, this woman actually had a, she was not possessed with a spirit, but there was a spirit that had a grasp on her body. She would bend over and couldn't no wise lift up herself and was that way for 18 years. And Jesus said that she was a daughter of Abraham and that it was Satan who had bound her for these, these 18 years. And he said to those religious guys who were more concerned about uh, uh, what, what they thought God intended by the keeping of the Sabbath, and Jesus corrected them saying, you guys would go and, you know, let, let your beast get a drink on the Sabbath day. Well, ought not this woman being a daughter of Abraham, whom Satan has bound for these 18 years, be loose from her bondage on the Sabbath day? Woo! Somebody shout. Hallelujah. And, um, of course, as we understood the saint was the source, what well, we thought, well, let's see if we can pinpoint when physical imperfection ends. Does the Bible have anything to say about that? And we looked at a verse in Revelation 20 and then Revelation 21. In Revelation 20, it talks about the devil who deceived the, the, them was cast into the lake of fire and brimstone where the beast and the false prophet, and they'll all be tormented there day and night forever and ever. Whoa, and I just love reading that. I, I just love to remind him of that. You know, I, uh, uh, someone used to say, when the devil reminds you of your past, you remind him of his future. Hey, come on, somebody. <laughs> now, uh, that, that next chapter, that was Revelation 20 that talked about the, the, the devil being thrown into the lake of fire. And the next chapter, we, we read uh, uh, what was a description of what things are like in, in, in God's city and what things are like on the other side of uh, him, be, him being the enemy, uh, locked up, put away once and for all. Uh, said, God will wipe away every tear from their eyes, and death shall be no more, neither shall there be anguish, sorrow, and mourning, nor grief, nor pain anymore, for the old conditions and the former order of things have passed away. Hallelujah. So we demonstrated this, that before uh, uh, Satan, there was no sickness. Before Satan was allowed entrance into the earth here. There was no sickness. And after Satan's finally locked up, there's no sickness, no pain, no death, none of that stuff. So it's only around as long as he's around. And we know that's not a coincidence. That just clearly tells us who the source is and where it's coming from. We looked at Deuteronomy 28, uh, realizing that sickness is considered a curse and also uh, happily joining Deuteronomy 28 together with Galatians 3, 13, and 14, where it says that Christ has redeemed us from the curse of the law. And so what do you do with curses? What do you do with anything that comes from Satan? You resist him. You resist him. You, you don't say, well, I, oh, it's, uh, it's just a runny nose or it's just that time of the season, you know, and all that, you know. No, no, it, it don't matter whether you think it's big or little. If it's him, you resist him. You resist him all the time and every time. Amen. 
And then, of course, we uh, uh, settled on this, that the fix for sin and the fix for sickness is exactly the same. The forgiveness of sins and the healing of sickness. The, 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 uh, the work that God does to save us in our spirit and the work he does to heal us in our body. It's all part of the same work. It's all part of what Jesus did to redeem us. Hallelujah. The same work of redemption purchased both. See, we separate them. God looks at it as a package deal. Did you realize that? All through the scripture, there's that terminology, even words with meaning that, that include a package deal, that include everything together, that, that, that when you're saved, everything's saved. When you're whole, everything's whole. That's the way God thinks. And so we just need to think like he thinks. Hallelujah. And then, of course, uh, we, we wrapped up last week by uh, understanding this, that in the ministry of Jesus... When uh, uh, some of his guys got fired up because there were some uh, Samaritan village that was not receiving their ministry there. And so the sons of thunder thought they would get thunderous and, and say, well, Lord, why don't we just call down fire on them like Elijah did? Some of y'all would do that. I'm not looking at anybody, but I know some of y'all would do that. <laughs> but, but you know, the thing is, is that Jesus rebuked them in the same way that he rebuked a, a demon in the same way he rebuked the fever in Peter's mother-in-law he rebuked them for saying such a thing and said hey wait a minute you need to realize you don't know what manner of spirit you are of you you think you're you're hooked up with with the the, the right side and you think you're in tune with me he's saying that's not the way I operate he really corrected those guys he said, the Son of Man has not come to destroy men's lives, but to save them. And we're going to go ahead and see even more today how that's not just a reflection of God the Son, but the fact that God the Son and God the Father are in perfect harmony and perfect unity. There, there is no... Uh, there, there's no God 101 and then God 102 or, or, or point two or anything like that. God is God. And always will be God. Never changes. Always the same. Gives good gifts without varying, without shadow of turning, the scripture says. Hallelujah. So we're going to go ahead and uh, see some more of that later. But that's review. Now we're going to go ahead and get into the heart of the message for tonight. And uh, the, the idea of how, how this uh, authority was turned over from Adam to Satan, and what's being done about it. Would you like to know? Well, you know what? We're not going to read all of this, but if you take your time to read a parable of Jesus, Mark chapter 12, and goes from 1 through 9, um, you will see in there that Jesus told the parable of a, of a man who, who built a vineyard and leased it. He leased it, to, to people that could go ahead and operate that as he went on a far journey. And he would send some representatives along the way. He'd send some of his servants over there to go ahead and check on things. And uh, uh, what, what, what would happen is some of them would get beat up. Some of them would get rocks thrown at them. Some of them would just flat out be killed. And then after a while, 
the, 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 the owner of the vineyard said, well, I'm going to go ahead and send my son. They'll certainly respect my son. He sent his son over there, and they killed him too. Now, does that sound familiar? It certainly does. Because you see God creating uh, planet Earth, and you see God uh, entrusting his vineyard over uh, to, to, uh, uh, to others. You, you see that, that it, it was leased, shall we say. Jesus actually used the term that it was leased in that parable. But the thing is, is that we see God sending servants along the way, otherwise known as the prophets. And they weren't listened to. And then after a while, he sent his son, and his son was killed in the same way as the, the man in the parable. Jesus was painting a, a, a very vivid picture of really the existence of mankind. That this was something that was God's creation. God had entrusted it over to, to someone. And the, the, those to whom it was entrusted did not do with it what they should have done with it. Now... To get a view of that in Scripture, uh, we're, we're going to go ahead and take a look at some things. But first of all, I want you to realize uh, the, the verse that we uh, made reference to a little while ago. Let this be the, the foundation upon which we start building. When God first created man, he said, Let us make man in our image according to our likeness and let them have dominion. And he talked about all the things that they could go ahead and go and dominate. And then in the, later on in the same chapter, God blessed them. God said to them, be fruitful, multiply, fill the earth and subdue it and have dominion. So, so he's emphasizing this dominion thing. Uh, he, he says it twice. If God says it once, it's important. If God says it twice, he's really emphasizing it. So, so we see that God clearly gave dominion to Adam. And, you know, just as a point of reference, if you're taking notes, uh, what, what I was just referring to is Genesis 1, 26 to 28. So you can see this, that God leased the earth to Adam. Now, why is it a lease? Because a lease has a def definitive start time and a definitive end time. Why didn't God just turn it over, you know, and give him full ownership rather than lease it? Well, I think that answer is pretty obvious. Somebody smile. Because if that was the case, then we'd just be in a mess forever. And it, the, the same old mess would just go and go and get worse and worse and worse and worse and worse and worse. So I think it's very clear why God would have set it up in, in our terms as a lease because it had a definitive date by which it went. Do you know exactly the date? No, I don't know the exact date either, but it is going to come to an end eventually. So you see, when Adam fell, when Adam sinned, what he did is he allowed Satan access to the earth lease. The same lease that God leased over to him, Adam in turn took it and gave that authority, gave his right to dominate things here right over to the enemy. Now, God being a God who uh, does everything right and, shall we say, by the book, couldn't just come in and take things over and say, 
Adam, uh, you know, uh, you, you messed up, so now, now I need to go ahead and have you, uh, you know, I need to come in and go ahead and take things over. Because God had already set things up where when he gave dominion, he gave dominion. He, he wasn't li- leaving it on the, uh, you know, kind of like, you know, when you joke with somebody and throw them something on the string and then you pull it back. No, there was no string attached. Uh, the, 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 only, the, uh, the, the only thing in the mind of God was that this was clearly a lease. This is going to have a definitive start time and a definitive end time. But this is not El Permanento. But when God gave dominion, he gave it. And God's not going to go ahead and try to pull back what he clearly gave to Adam. And, uh, uh, and so God just had to, whether he liked it or not, and you know he didn't like it. I think it's quite obvious that it hurts God's heart to see the pain and suffering of the human race since the fall of Adam. But you also see this that God honored the decision that Adam made, even though it was the wrong decision, even though it was crazy, God honored it. Because God gave him dominion and God gave him choice. Now, thank God he, God God got back into the affairs of mankind. He was not left out. Because there was always somebody that was, uh, uh, talking to him, and there was always somebody that was God was trying to get their attention. God got the attention of a uh, of of a man named Enoch. Remember Enoch? Enoch got so wrapped up with the Lord that one day he just whoop, he just went on up to heaven, bypassed death, just had a direct shoot here, right up to the Lord. And said Enoch walked with God and was not because God just said, "Come on, come on, Enoch." I mean, I'm having too much of a good time with you. I can't let you stay there anymore. You need to come hang out with me. That's pretty great, isn't it? And then God made covenants with a man like Noah. God made covenant with Abraham. Uh, uh, you, you see God's involvement in mankind when God knocked on the door and a man let him in. And God was legally, not by some back way, but, but legally and right up front, having access back into the lives of mankind once again. Praise God. Now, we saw in Genesis 1 what I've referred to, that, that God gave man dominion. Psalm 8, 4 through 6, we read this. It says, What is man that you are mindful of him, and the son of man that you visit him? You all got that one back there, that Psalm 8. Verse 5, for you have made him a little lower than the angels, and you've crowned him with glory and honor. You've made him to have dominion over the works of your hands, and you've put all things under his feet. You see that? That's, that's the way that God originally handled things with mankind. He gave him to have dominion over the work of his hands crowned him with glory and honor. When it says you've made him a little lower than the angels, the Hebrew word for angels is really Elohim. So literally saying that he made man a little lower than God himself. Psalm 115 verse 16 says, The heaven, even the heavens are the Lord's, but the earth he's given to the children of men. 
So, so you see that this earth is something that God gave to men and that God actually gave dominion to man to, to dominate it and that God, as the other verse said, had put all things under man's feet. Talk about being in a place of authority. But then the unfortunate tragedy of Eden takes place. And so in one transaction, you see man bowing their knee to this foreigner, to, 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 this, uh, 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 to, to the serpent in, in the garden uh, uh, who, who was saying things like, you know, uh, I know God said that, but you will not surely die. You, you can hear that line. You know, he'll come and say the exact opposite of something God clearly said. And that's what happened. And unfortunately, they fell for it hook, line, and sinker. And in the process of that transaction and the disobedience to God, the very authority that God gave to them, they took and transferred over to the serpent. Which explains the wording that you hear Satan using in uh, one of the gospel uh, uh, accounts of the temptation of Jesus in Luke chapter 4, verse 5 through 7. It says, Then the devil, taking him up on a high mountain, showed him all the kingdoms of the world in a moment of time. Now Luke 4, and, uh, uh, verse 6. And the devil said to him, all this authority I will give you and their glory, for this has been delivered to me, and I give it to whomever I wish. And then verse 7, therefore, if you will worship before me, all will be yours. Now, you could say, well, the enemy was just bluffing. But if he's just bluffing, then that's not a real temptation. But Jesus certainly treated it like it was a real temptation. He said it is written to that just like he'd say it is written to any other temptation. So if Jesus treated it like a real temptation, then you have no choice but to come to the conclusion that the enemy really did have something to offer Jesus. That he really did have this authority that was delivered to him and that he could give it to whoever he wanted to. And that authority that was delivered to Satan was delivered to him by who? By Adam. Are you with me? So Satan does have this authority. So God gave dominion and authority over to his man. Sad to say what happened in Eden happened. And the authority and the dominion was transferred from Adam to Satan. But this is a lease. And I'm going to show that to you very clearly. This has a definitive ending time. So Satan has this authority, but only for a limited time. And when the time's up, that's when he really gets what's coming to him. Now think about this. You see uh, Jesus dealing with uh, two demon-possessed men. In Matthew 8, and I want you to realize what, 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 what the demons actually inform us of. 
Have you ever been informed by a demon before? Well, I mean, yeah, the devil is a liar. But in this one case, uh, uh, you, you could clearly see that they were acknowledging something about Jesus that is true. And we'll see that in just a minute. Matthew 8, verse 28, it says, uh, When he had come to the other side to the country of the Gergesenes, there met him two demon-possessed men coming out of the tombs exceedingly fierce, so that no one could pass that way. And suddenly they cried out, saying, What have we to do with you, Jesus, Son of God? Jesus, you Son of God, have you come here to torment us before the time? Hmm. So there's an awareness in these demons that there's a time come, a time coming when they're going to go ahead and get their torment. There's a time coming when they're going to go ahead and, uh, can I use a little funny term? They're going to have hell to pay in a literal sense. <laughs> so you see that, that they're saying, Jesus, have you come here to torment us before the time? Where even in these demons, there's an awareness that there's a time. That there's a time when their clock runs out, the lease runs out, the authority that they have now is no longer carried on. And, and what happens then? They're going to go ahead and get what's coming to them. Is that the only verse in Scripture that insinuates such a thing? No, it's not. Revelation chapter 12 and verse 12 says this, Therefore rejoice, O heavens, and you who dwell in them. Woe to the inhabitants of the earth and the sea, for the devil has come down to you having great wrath, because he knows that he has a short time. Woo! Their light bulbs going on here tonight. You see, he's, he's not going to be around forever. He's on a leash. He's not just on a leash, he's on a leash. <laughs> Hallelujah. And so there's an awareness in the demons that there's a time coming. The devil himself knows that he's got a short time. He, he doesn't have much more time to work with. And it's interesting that, that the, the enemies, uh, the enemy uh, would have an awareness of this. The Bible even says that the demons believe and tremble. Well, what do they believe? Well, they know who God is. They know what Jesus did to them. But they also know what's in their future. And that's why they tremble, because the very thought of it causes them to tremble. Because what's in their future, I mean, they're going to get what's coming to them. So it's interesting to see that even the enemy himself is aware that this is not always going to be this way. That he's not going to always have the authority that Adam gave to him, that there's going to be a time where that runs out. Let's look a little bit further. 2 Corinthians 4 and verse 4 says this. It says, whose mind's the God of this age. Interesting term for the enemy, the God of this age. Little g, not big g. Hey, has blinded who do not believe, lest the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God, should shine on them. So the God of this age, what age? This age. He's only the God of this age. Only this one. We'll, we'll get to that in a minute. But he's the God of this current age. 
And why is he in such a role? Because Adam gave him that role. Because otherwise that role would have been filled by Adam. But it, uh, Satan can be that because Adam turned that authority over. 1 Corinthians 2, 6 uses this wording here. However, we speak wisdom among those who are mature, yet not the wisdom of this age, nor the rulers of this age who are coming to nothing. Now, when people think rulers of this age, they automatically think physical rulers. But you got to understand this, that even behind physical rulers are spiritual rulers. You know, there's a hierarchy in the spirit realm and even among demons. Ephesians 6 talks about it. We wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities, powers, uh, the, the rulers of the darkness of this world, spiritual wickedness in heavenly places. So even among demons, there's, there's rank. We, we see that there. But, but the, the thing is, is that the rulers of this age, as far as God's concerned, they're coming to nothing. Zip zero nada. Hallelujah. Well, how is that? That's because Colossians 2.15 tells you that Jesus spoiled principalities and powers and made a show of them openly, triumphing over them in the cross. So triumphing over them in, the, the, in his death, burial, and resurrection. So that means that Jesus, by coming and dying, and going into hell itself to gain access to the keys of death and hell. Hallelujah. Ha has done something to put a hurt on the enemy and is the absolute guarantee of how the story is going to end. Hallelujah. This story is going to have a happy ending. It had a miserable beginning. But glory to God, for those in Christ, this story has a very happy ending. And you know what? You don't even have to wait to the ending to be happy. You can be happy right now because Jesus is not going to spoil these principalities and powers. The scripture says that he already has. Well, then if he did, then why is the devil still around doing his thing? This is the reason why. Those who know and believe that Jesus spoiled principalities and powers gain the access and the benefit of that spoiling, shall we say. Uh, they gain the, the, the benefit of that victory. Those who do not know could be free, have the opportunity to be free, but are still under bondage because of what they don't know. Which goes back to the words of Hosea chapter 4 verse 6. My people perish for a lack of knowledge. So it's interesting. You've got the devil doing all the things he's doing in the world. And why is he still doing it and doing it so freely? Because people don't know that he's been whooped. That's our job. To go tell them. Go tell everybody. Jesus dealt with the devil. Hallelujah. Jesus spoiled principalities and powers. And so therefore, you see, you know, uh, the, uh, we understand the term spiritual warfare, but sometimes people get carried away with it. So people say, well, you, you know, we, the scripture says we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities and against powers. And so, so we got to go and start wrestling. 
But here's the thing. You need to consider this. If you're going to go ahead and take one verse about what the Bible says about those principalities and powers, you've got to take all of them. So if you're going to take Ephesians 6 that you're wrestling with principalities and powers, then you also need to consider that verse we talked about, Colossians 2.15, that said Jesus spoiled principalities and powers. And then you also need to consider Ephesians 1 that says that, the, that, that you are seated in Christ far above all principalities and powers. So if you're seated far above them and Jesus spoiled them, that wrestling match takes on a whole new meaning. Rather than, you know, you, you think of two guys on the mat ready to wrestle. No, this is a whole different wrestling match. Hallelujah. This is not you trying to get victory. No, this is you walking in and enjoying and enforcing the victory that's already been won for you by the Lord Jesus Christ. Mm. Hallelujah. Now, so believers can benefit right here in this present age. You can have the benefit of everything that Jesus did in his death, burial, and resurrection right now, even though the enemy is still on the scene. Even though the enemy is still legally here, you have access to benefits. Because you are a citizen not of here. You are a citizen of the kingdom of God. You are an ambassador of Christ. You are representing the nation from which you've come. Hallelujah. And so therefore, even though you're here, you're not under the dictates of the way things are here. Glory to God. You're under the dictates of the kingdom of God. And what happened in the kingdom of God? Jesus went about teaching and preaching the gospel of the kingdom and healing every sickness and disease among the people. Where the kingdom's at, healing's at. You're a son and daughter, a citizen of the kingdom of God, even though you're here on planet earth. And that's why in the middle of a sick world, you can still have health. Woo, glory. I think that's a good place for water break. Now, we talked about Satan being the god of this age. But we're going to clearly see that this is not permanent. Because this age is not the only age. We hear this, that, that Jesus gave himself for our sins that he might deliver us from this present evil age. That means you're still living in this age, but you're delivered from it. You're, you're not under the authority of the enemy. Hallelujah. You're delivered from this present evil age. And the Bible talks about living soberly and righteously and godly in the present age. So that's talking about this age right now, the age where Satan still is, the God of this age. But the Bible also talks about the end of this age in multiple places. Matthew 13, 1 Corinthians 10, Matthew 12, Jesus talks about the age that now is and the age which is to come. So that age which is to come does not include old what's-his-name. He's the God of this age. When this age ends, when the lease ends, when the lease expires, he is no longer in that position. That's why God made it a lease and not permanent. Hallelujah. 
So you see, there's an age to come. And in that age to come is the eternal life. Glory to God. And when, when uh, Jesus was raised up far above all principality and power and might and dominion and every name that is named, it says, not only in this age, but also in the age to come. So that means that Jesus' victory is so final that he's not just numero uno right now during this age, during this period of time, but any future period of time, any future age, any future scenario, Jesus is not just boss in this current time. Jesus is permanent boss. Hallelujah. Jesus is Lord permanently. He's Lord forever. Hallelujah. So the Bible talks about this current age, but also talks about the ages to come. Where is Satan in the picture? Only in this current age. But we see that even in this current age, that doesn't mean we just need to keep on being his punching bag for a little while longer. Oh, Lord, rapture me, or, or if, if I die, I'll just go to be with you. But it is not the will of God for you to be the enemy's punching bag. You right now, even though you're living technically on his turf, you as a citizen of the kingdom of God can live according to kingdom rules even while you're here on the enemy's turf. Glory to God. Think about this, that the enemy in uh, Ephesians 2, 2, uh, is called the prince of the power of the air. The prince of the power of the air, the spirit who now works in the sons of disobedience. But if you're not one of the children of disobedience, if you're the, the children who have believed and have obeyed, then this prince of the power of the air is not the spirit that works in you. Oh, is somebody happy about that tonight? Come on. If you're a child of obedience, that prince of the power of the air is not the spirit that works in you. The spirit that works in you is the spirit of Almighty God. Hallelujah. Spirit of love, power, and a sound mind. Glory to God. Let's take a look at some things Jesus himself said. And right really in the, the same, uh, same portion of time, uh, uh, just previous to uh, what we call the Last Supper and the conversation at the Last Supper, and then statements he made right there at what we call the Last Supper. John twelve thirty one. he said, Now is the judgment of this world. Now the ruler of this world will be cast out. So he's calling the, the God of this world by just another name. Here calling him, or the God of this age, he's calling him the ruler of this world. Jesus uses that same terminology several more times. John twelve thirty one. I mean, I'm sorry, fourteen thirty. I will no longer talk much with you, for the ruler of this world is coming, and he has nothing in me. Think about that. Jesus was saying, he think he got something on me, he ain't got nothing on me. Hallelujah. Sixteen eleven of John, that the Holy Spirit would speak of uh, judgment because the ruler of this world is judged. So three times there in the Gospel of John, Jesus making reference to Satan, a.k.a. The, the God of this age, as being the ruler of this world. Now, what's the good news? 
is that right there in that same gospel, right there in that same discourse that is taking place at the Last Supper, Jesus prays in John chapter 17, and he makes this statement that you are not of this world even as I am not of this world. Oh, is somebody getting happy here? So if Satan's called the ruler of this world, and you are not of this world, you know what that means? Jesus is making a statement. He may still be ruler of this world, but he ain't ruling you and he's not ruling me. Hallelujah. Do you see that? Do you see that? Jesus called him ruler of this world, but then he goes and tells his followers, but you are not of this world, which means if you're not of this world, then you're not under the one who's ruling the world. Glory to God. And if you know who you are, and you know what Jesus did to him, then he can't rule over you. You'll be the one ruling. As Romans five seventeen says, that you will reign in life. Through the one, Jesus Christ. Hallelujah. Romans 5, 17. The Amplified Classic actually says that you would reign as kings in life. That means that right here, even though the lease has not yet expired, and even though Satan is still here, that what Jesus did to deal with him, is so absolutely available and so absolutely effective that even right now, right now in his face, you can go ahead and enjoy the benefits of the kingdom of God and live here and not be under his rule. Sounds like a psalm I read before, that you have a table prepared before you in the presence of your enemies. And you're not paying any attention to your enemies and what they're trying to do and the temptation they're trying to bring and the mess they're trying to bring. No, you're too busy eating the good stuff that God's got on the table for you. And since we're talking about healing, let me let you know that healing and deliverance is referred to by Jesus as being the children's bread. So go ahead and pull up a chair to the table and eat some bread, somebody. Hallelujah. Now, so this is kind of like two messages in one. We could go ahead and I'll elaborate further, but I think that that gives you some real good insight into what happened, that God gave dominion to Adam. Adam gave that dominion over to Satan. But that's, there's a leash on that. There's a leash on the lease. This is not permanent. This has a time, an expiration date. Glory to God. And I believe we saw that real clearly. Now I want to shift gears and take a look at the ministry of Jesus. Now, Pastor John got into this a little bit, and I just want to go ahead and, you know, add on to that. And, you know, if, if, he, if he built the rest of the Sunday, we'll just put the whipped cream and the cherry on top of that. But I want you to know, that this is a statement that, that I, I really like, that Jesus' ministry removed all mystery of what God the Father is like. That Jesus' ministry removed all mystery of what God the Father is like. That we see this, that Jesus was not the smiter, Jesus was the smitten. Isn't that interesting? 
Jesus was not the striker. Jesus was the stricken. And we see this, that Jesus' very own words, the kingdom divided cannot stand. So if you have, uh, uh, you know, God the Father putting sickness on people and God the Son taking sickness off people, you obviously have a kingdom divided. They, They would not be on the same page. So what can we see about Jesus that will settle the issue in our hearts of what God's really like and therefore help to cement the issue further of what is really the origin of sickness? Well, let's start by going to Hebrews 1. This is the very beginning of the book of Hebrews. Hebrews 1 starting with verse 1. It says, God, who at various times and in various ways spoke in time past to the fathers by the prophets, has in these last days spoken to us by his Son, whom he has appointed heir of all things, through whom also he made the worlds, who being the brightness of his glory and the express image of his person, and upholding all things by the word of his power, when he had by himself purged our sins, sat down at the right hand of majesty on high. But look at the beginning of verse 3, who being the brightness of his glory and the express image of his person. I want to read to you that phrase there out of several other Bible translations. The J.B. Phillips New Testament calls it the flawless expression of the nature of God. The Amplified Classic says this, He is the perfect imprint and very image of God's nature. He's the very image of God's nature. Another way of saying that, he's the very image of what God is like. The... uh, uh, I think this is a complete Jewish Bible. It says he's the very expression of God's essence. The message uh, uh, Bible says this, this son perfectly mirrors God. This son perfectly mirrors God and is stamped with God's nature. Hallelujah. The New Living Translation It says, expresses the very character of God. The New American Standard Bible says he's the exact representation of his nature. The exact representation of God's nature. It's been said that Jesus is perfect theology. Hey, so what's theology? Theology is the study of God. So if you want to do a study of God... That, that is perfect and flawless and has no mistakes and no additives or preservatives. If you study Jesus, you're studying perfect theology. That's how perfectly Jesus represented what the Father's like. Hallelujah. Now, here's some other verses to look at. Colossians 1.15 in the Amplified Classic. It says, now he is the exact likeness of the unseen God. The visible representation of the invisible. 
He's the firstborn of all creation. So he's the exact likeness of the unseen God. Now, now, now we're, 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 we're talking about not similar, not, not, not a, a, a like, but an exact likeness. I mean, even twins, you know, you hang around twins long enough, you can figure out who's who. We're not talking twins here. We're talking an exact likeness. And think about that, the visible representation of the invisible that you have as clear as can be, as, as concise as can be in visible form, the, the exact representation in visible form of him who is invisible. The word was made flesh. That's what John chapter 1 says, that the, the, the word in the beginning was the word, and the word was with God, and the word was God. And then down in verse 14 of John chapter 1, it says, And the word was made flesh and dwelt among us, and we beheld his glory as of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. When you see Jesus, you are seeing an exact like this. You are seeing a very clear visible representation of exactly what the invisible God is like. Uh, Colossians 1.15 in the message. Let's take a look at that. The Son is the image of the invisible God. Actually, you know what? I'm not sure that that's it. I got something different here. It says, we look at this son and see the God who cannot be seen. Now listen to this. We look at this son and see God's original purpose in everything created. Wow, isn't that amazing? So I may, I may have the translation mixed up, but it... But if anybody needs to get where it came from, I can get it for you. We look at this sun and see God's original purpose in everything created. And that's what we're talking about. We're talking about origins, right? We're talking about the origin of sickness. Well, if you look at Jesus, and if you can look at him and see God's original purpose for things, then you don't see anything in Jesus' life or ministry that would indicate that God's original purpose was for mankind to be sick. Because he's doing just the opposite. He's unsicking people. He's not making them sick. He's making them unsick. He's, he's taking it off them, not putting it on them. Hallelujah. Now, Jesus said in John 14, he said, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. That means you, you want to see the Father? Just watch what I'm doing. I'm doing what he's doing. I'm saying what he's saying. If you see me doing it, that's what he's doing. John 5, 19. Jesus answered and said to them, Most assuredly, I say to you, the Son can do nothing of himself, but what he sees the Father do. For whatever he does, the Son also does in like manner. Think about that. Whatever he does, the Son also does in like manner. So if you see God the Son as being healer, then there is no mistake in it. God the Father is healer. John 5.30, I can of myself do nothing. As I hear, I judge, and my judgment is righteous. Because I do not seek my own will, but the will of the Father who sent me. Jesus said, I'm not just here doing my own thing. I'm doing the will of the one who sent me. 638 of John says, for I have come down from heaven not to do my own will, but the will of him that sent me. How clear can that get that Jesus is saying, I'm not here just doing my thing. I'm doing the will of him that sent me. I'm doing the will of my Father. What's the will? In this case, it's what the Father wants. The Father wants this, I want it. The Father wants it, I do it. 
What did Jesus do? That's what I want to spend the rest of our time taking a look at it. And here's the thing. Can you stand like 10 minutes of a whole lot of scripture? All right? 10 minutes of a whole lot of scripture. That's going to be the ministry of Jesus. And we're going to look at it through the glasses that if Jesus is like this, then he's doing exactly what the Father would do. He's showing us exactly what the Father is like. So we're not going to have any more mystery about what God the Father is like because Jesus' ministry removes the mystery of what God the Father is like. Are you ready? All right. So here we go, sound booth. Get ready. Mark 1, 39. And as he was preaching in the synagogue throughout all Galilee and casting out demons, now a leper came to him, imploring him, kneeling down to him and saying, if you are willing, you can make me clean. Then Jesus moved with compassion, stretched out his hand and touched him and said to him, I am willing, be cleansed. And as soon as he had spoken, immediately the leprosy left him and he was cleansed. So this, this leper was not sure if it was God's will for him to be healed. This leper was not sure if Jesus wanted to heal him. So he said, if you're willing, I know you can. So no question about your ability to do it, but a question about your willingness. Jesus said, I am willing. By Jesus saying, I am willing, you automatically know that the Father is willing. Because Jesus and the Father have to be on the same page. Oh yeah. So what's he like? Let's go ahead and check it out. Matthew 4, 23. And Jesus went about all Galilee, teaching in their synagogues, preaching the gospel of the kingdom, and healing all kinds of sickness and all kinds of disease among the people. Then his fame went throughout all Syria, and they brought to him all sick people who were afflicted with various diseases and torments, and those who were demon-possessed, epileptics, and paralytics, and he healed them. We're not done yet. Are you ready? There's a little machine gun fire of the word to boost your faith and to settle an issue once and for all. Hallelujah. Matthew 8, 16. When evening had come, they brought to him many who were demon possessed. And he cast out the spirits with a word and healed all who were sick, that it might be fulfilled, which was spoken by Isaiah the prophet, saying, he himself took our infirmities, and bore our sicknesses. Glory to God. You want more? There's more. Matthew 9, 35. And this is not, we're not going through every healing scripture in the gospel. We're just going through some of them. Matthew 9, 35. Then Jesus went about all the cities and villages, teaching in their synagogues, preaching the gospel of the kingdom, and healing every sickness and every disease among the people. Matthew twelve fifteen. But when Jesus knew it, he withdrew from there. And great multitudes followed him, and he healed them all. Matthew fourteen fourteen. And when Jesus uh, went out, he saw a great multitude, and he was moved with compassion for them, and healed their sick. Are you starting to get a sense of what Jesus is like? Well, if you know what Jesus is like, you know what the Father's like. Matthew 15 and verse 30. Then great multitudes came to him, having with them the lame, blind, mute, 
maimed, and many others, and they laid them down at Jesus' feet, and he healed them. Matthew 19, verse 2. And great multitudes followed him, and he healed them there. Matthew 21, 14. Then the blind and the lame came to him in the temple, and he healed them. Now we're in the Gospel of Mark, Mark chapter 1, starting with 32. At evening, when the sun had set, they brought to him all who were sick and those who were demon-possessed, and the whole city was gathered together at the door. Imagine that. Then he healed many who were sick with various diseases and cast out many demons, and he did not allow the demons to speak because they knew him. All right. Mark 3, start with verse 7. But Jesus withdrew with his disciples to the sea, and a great multitude from Galilee followed him, and from Judea and Jerusalem and Idumea, and beyond the Jordan, those from Tyre and Sidon, a great multitude, when they heard how many things he was doing. Don't you just love that? How many things he was doing. What kind of stuff was he doing? Well, verse 9 says, So he told his disciples that a small boat should be kept ready for him because of the multitude, lest they should crush him. For he healed many, so that as many as had afflictions pressed about him to touch him. Jesus had to go out in a boat a little bit from shore just to go ahead and have a little distance from the people because they just wanted what Jesus had. You think we're done? No, we're going to go a little bit more. Mark 6, starting with verse 53. And when they had crossed over, they came to the land of Gennesaret and anchored there. And when they came out of the boat, immediately the people recognized him, ran through that whole surrounding region, and began to carry about on beds those who were sick to wherever they heard he was, wherever he entered, into villages, cities, or the country, they laid the sick in the marketplaces and begged him that they might just touch the hem of his garment, and as many as touched them were made well. Now, if you have any doubt, I want you to listen to the very words of Jesus that would describe a typical day in his life. Are you ready? Something you can almost read right over without realizing it. Luke 13, verse 31 to 32. On that very day, some Pharisees came, saying to him, Get out and depart from here, for Herod wants to kill you. And he said to them, Go tell that fox. Listen, behold, I cast out demons and perform cures today and tomorrow, and the third day I shall be perfected. Jesus is talking about casting out demons, and doing cures as part of his daily routine. Are we done yet? No, let's have a little more fun. Three more verses. You can take it. John 20, starting with verse 30. It says, And truly Jesus did many other signs in the presence of his disciples, which are not written in this book, but these are written that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that believing you may have life in his name. Now, John 21, verse 25, this is the last verse of the Gospel of John. And there are also many other things that Jesus did. 
which if they were written one by one, I suppose that even the world itself could not contain the books that would be written. Amen. And we just read a whole lot. I mean, we just read one thing after the other, and those weren't even the personal instances, the one-on-one or the one-on-two. Those were just the crowd shots. Hallelujah. And then the Gospel of John, although the Gospel of John does not get into uh, uh, the, uh, some of the aspects of the ministry of Jesus as the others do, because uh, Matthew, Mark, and Luke are called the synoptic gospels. They're, they're very much alike where John uh, hits the life and ministry of Jesus from another angle. But even John, d- despite the ones that he does record in there, the signs, the wonders, the healings that John does record, he said, there are also many other things which Jesus did. And if they were all written down, I suppose that the world couldn't contain the books that should be written. Now, if you think that's all, there's one more. It's the very first verse of the book of Acts, written by Luke. Luke wrote the gospel of Luke, and then he wrote this to the same guy, his buddy Theophilus. The former account I made, old Theophilus, referring back to the gospel that he wrote, the gospel of Luke. And he said that was a recording or an account of all that Jesus began both to do and teach. What is he saying? He is saying that what Jesus did during his earthly ministry was the beginning of what he did and taught. And right now, from the book of Acts onto this very present day, we are living in the continuation. Whoa, glory to God. The continuation of what Jesus is doing and teaching. He's still doing and he's still teaching today. And now he does it through his body, the church. Do you expect it? You know what? I'm going to tell you this. The healing and miracles don't take place in churches where people don't believe it. If they say, oh, we, we don't do that here. No, no, that's, that went away back when the, the last apostle died. Of course, I've always had a funny view of that. You know, that you got the last apostle who was the apostle John, and you got this long prayer line out of his house going down five blocks down the street. And someone at the end of the line said, hey, what, what's going on? What are you doing? Well, I'm trying to get my healing before it passes away. Such foolishness. Jesus is the same yesterday, today, and forever. Jesus said that those of you that believe on me, uh, the works that I do, you will do also. And greater works. But like Pastor John likes to say, before you get into the greater works, just start doing the works. But I, I read this to you tonight. I give you this machine gun fire tonight just to let you know that if you have any doubt about what the Father's like, you don't have to go any further than that right there. And you know that if God the Son's a healer, that's certainly reflective of the heart of the Father. Let's you know He's a healer as well. Let's you know that His heart is not to put it on people. His heart is to take it off people. The one who's out to put it on, we know who that is. We identified Him. Case closed. Praise be to God. Amen. Hallelujah. Well, I trust you all were blessed by the word, and uh, we're going to go ahead and pray tonight as we wrap up. Father, in Jesus' name, we honor you. We thank you, Lord, that uh, 
uh, truth, <laughs> truth makes us free. Lord, as we see your word and as we know your word and as we continue in your word, Jesus said we'll know the truth and the truth will make us free. So, Father, we thank you, Lord, that this truth is working in us tonight, that our eyes are open, the spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of you, insight into what you really like, how you really operate, what your heart is really like towards people. Thank you, Father. Lord, I pray that we would all leave this place having an accurate view of the Father, an accurate view of what he's like, and fall in love with him like never before. Thank you, Lord. Well, if you're here to.